We're going to start off in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, we talk about Christ's passion um, on this Wednesday. And I'm a little late getting out today's message. Um, had crisis in our uh, come in today, so I'm a little late getting getting to it here. Acts chapter one, verse one through three. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs being seen of them forty days, and speaking of these things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So the word passion that I'm going to be using is used only this one time in the entire Bible. And it really sums up Jesus as being dis, uh, despised and rejected by his own countrymen and those into whom he had come to save from their sins. Sins, inequities, transgressions, wickedness, evil, thoughts, uh, imaginations, wrongdoings, such as theft, murder, adultery, fornication, lying, covetousness, hatred jealousies, deceitfulness, and drunkenness. These all, and many other things since the time of Adam and Eve's disobedience, had filled the cup of man's inequity to the brim, overflowing. And the incoming of the wrath of, of a righteous, holy God, precipitating his, his coming into this world, in the likeness of, of sinful flesh and for, for sin, to condemn sin in the flesh and redeem us from all inequities. Father, in the name of Jesus, your Son, the only begotten, we come before you on this midweek. And we ask, Lord God, that you would be with us for this time of study. We ask that you would send the anointing of the Holy Spirit to bring knowledge and study to our hearts, our minds, and our spirit. That as we go through this message of learning, of the passion, and what it's all about, that you would be with us. And if there be any listener out there that needs healing, that you would touch their spirit, touch their body, touch their mind your very soul, Lord God. And if it be financial, that you would touch that, find them work or find them income, that they might feed their families. If it be marital, Lord God, we ask that you would touch the heart of them and their spouse to bring about change in their lives. For truly, you are the great counselor. Whatever their need may be, Lord God, you said, I will meet all needs according to the riches and glory. We ask that you be with us for this time as we walk through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. It entails Gethsemane. 
or Gesame, depends on how you say it, where he made the decision to drink the bitter cup of wrath of God that had been filled to the brim for him. It means he, he poured out his soul unto death in prayer, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood for mankind. His passion speaks of being bitter, betrayed by a close friend and, 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 and a chosen apostle, and being sold for a paltry 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. His passion involved the, the many afflictions he had endured, as well as all the, the evil he underwent at the hands of these wicked men, such as the false accusers at his trial, the bloodthirsty mob who loudly demanded his crucifixion, those who stripped off his garment, bound him to the post, and flogged him with a cat of nine tails to within an inch of his death. The men who blindfolded him, jerked out his facial hairs, spit upon him, mocked him, struck him repeatedly with their hands, and pressed a crown of thorns upon his brow. The passion of Christ speaks of his painful, agonizing climb to the brow of Golgotha's hill, carrying his cross. His passion tells of his being nailed to the cross by having iron spikes driven through his hands and feet. That two-symbol word that in his thirst and jeers and taunts ringing in the ears the sight of his mother standing by and looking upon him helplessly, the shame of nakedness and the horror of the darkness that hung over the city for three hours at the midday, the circling of the vultures over his head, the baying of the dogs around his feet, soldiers drawing lots for his blood-stained garment, his fervent prayer, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His three all-conclusive words when he said, It is finished. And then he said, Into thy hands I commend my spirit, before he hung his head and died. His passion means also a sword ripping through his side, opening a wound from which gushed blood and water. His mutilated, torn, and ravaged body, with his face marred beyond recognition, was tenderly removed from the cross, wrapped with the grave clothes, placed in a borrowed tomb, and sealed fast within by a huge stone, sealing wax, and his burial place was guarded round the clock, 24-7, by 16 armed men who remained on duty, four men at a time, four hours each shift. The story of his passion is the story of the purposes of his life. It is the supreme and cultivating point, the one indispensable feature of his whole career, that to which everything led up to, for which everything prepared, compared that everything else 
was unimportant. Never. At any period of, any, of his ministry did the, the Son of Almighty God so truly and so largely fulfill the mission on which he came to this earth as when he was putting away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As when he was betrayed and smitten and reviled. As when he was lifted up onto that cross and poured out his soul unto death. But all of what would have been of no account, meaningless and in vain, had he not risen from the dead. He would be yet in our sins. Listen to what I say. We would be yet in our sins with no hope beyond the grave. But thanks be to God that the passion of Christ did not end on a dead note. I want you to listen to the inspired words recorded in Matthew, verse 28, verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to the, see the uh, sepulchre. And the other Mary, to, and behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for, four of, and for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye. For I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Verse 6. He is, listen to it, he is not here, for he is risen, he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. He is risen. You can go to the tomb of Buddha and see where he is buried. You can go to the tomb of Muhammad and see where he's buried. But when you go <laughs> to see the place where Jesus is buried, that tomb is empty. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He has risen. The week immediately preceding the festival of Easter is sometimes called the Passion Week in commemoration of the final five days of Jesus' life here upon this earth. Rather than refer to today as Easter Sunday, many people call it the Resurrection Day. We do at our church. Why? Because he showed himself alive after his passion. For those who desire to believe in the resurrection of Christ, but who also do not want to be deceived, our Lord provided many infallible proofs. Henry Morris once wrote, wrote the term infallible proofs in one word in the Greek, tekmerion, and occurs only this one time. It means literally many criteria of certainty, many criteria of certainty. It is significant that the inspired word of God applies it only to the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. Morris has further noted that this term emphasizes that the evidences for Christ's resurrection were not philosophical speculation but certain facts 
No other event in biblical history has been confirmed more certainty than his bodily resurrection. It's in history. Jesus hammered many nails of irrefutable evidence around the doorway of his tomb upon which believers of all ages could hang their hats of faith and hope. Some of these proofs are this, the sealed tomb. In order to seal a tomb, it was necessary to tie one end of a rope to the side of the sepulcher and pass it across the stone and tie it to the other side. It was drawn tight so that there would be no way to remove the stone without breaking the seal. Then wax or clay was placed on each end in, in the center that the rope or stone was disturbed. The seal would then break. The empty tomb. The empty tomb has never been explained except by the, bod the bodily resurrection. If the body were still there or any other place acceptable, uh, to Jews or Romans, they would certainly have produced it as a sure means of immediately quenching the, 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 the spreading flame of Christianity. As G.B. Hardy has said, there, here is the complete record. Confucius' tomb occupied Buddha's body. Um, Muhammad's tomb occupied, but Jesus' tomb was empty. How or in what form did Jesus show himself alive after his passion? Well, there was evidently some change in his body and some differences in his manner of appearing. Yes, he ate with his disciples, but not as one would needed food. He seems to have eaten only to convince them of his physical existence. He does not seem to have lived with them on a close and familiar basis as he had before but came to them occasionally, and the forms of his appearance suggest something miraculous. On one occasion, he walked alongside two disciples, and they did not know who he was because their eyes were holding. Later, he revealed himself as they broke bread together, and then he vanished out of their sight. On another occasion, he entered a room when the, the doors were all bolted. The disciples regarded Jesus with a deeper reverence, after his passion than had been their custom in his former state. There were many, many eyewitnesses. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen in Cephas uh, then of the twelve. After that he was seen uh, of above 500 brethren at once, and whom the greater part remain into this presence. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 6. The Ephians' appearances of the 40 days were to those who had already believed on him, but now needed to have their hopes recharged and anchored by the certainty of his resurrection. And so he appeared unto many. The remarkable parade of eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ is part of the overwhelming body of evidence making this a most certain fact of the biblical history. We see, we see um, the draping, uh, I'm trying, I'm going blank here. We're, we see his um, burial robe that, that draped over him. 
I'm trying to think of the name. <laughs> um, anyway, in the gospel accounts men mentioned numerous people to whom he showed himself alive after his passion. To Mary Magdalene in Mark 16 and John 20. To the women who had first visited the, the sepulchre by whom the disciples were summoned to meet Christ in Galilee. Matthew 28, verse 1 and 10. Write them down. Check me out. Simon Peter and John were, were each convinced of Jesus' resurrection at separate points and in response to different exhibits of evidence. The Bible testifies that after the women told Peter and John about this awesome thing that they had just witnessed at um, the empty tomb, the two men ran there, there to see for themselves. While John's feet were still on the tomb's floor, before he stopped, uh, stepped back outside the, the sepulcher, he became a, a thorough believer. The scripture says he saw and he believed. What was the evidence that convinced John? It was the linen cloth lying on the tomb's floor. To understand that powerful exhibit of evidence, this was one of the most understanding something of the Jewish burial customs of the era. The writer E.W. Keaton has provided an excellent commentary here. You understand that in, the, in, in every family among the wealthy Jews, there was a slave who understood embalming, for the class always embalmed their loved ones. John chapter 19, verse 39 and 40. And there came also Nicodemus, he who at the first came to him by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths uh, with the, the spices, as was the custom of the Jews. Uh, to bury. The body was first washed, and then the cloth was torn up and into a narrow strips and smeared with a sticky substance. Each finger and toe, hand and foot was wrapped with these strips until the leggings and the arms of the body were completely uh, encased in this sticky substance, and the head and neck were completely covered except the face. Then it was finished, and over the chest and the torso, there was an inch to an inch uh, and a half of this cloth. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and this covered with a sticky substance. <clears throat> the body was then put into Joseph's tomb. And the climate was about the same as they have in Southern California. In a few hours, this embalming garment would become a solid mass. And Jesus' body would be completely imprisoned in this grave clothes. The face was yet to be embalmed. Loved ones laid a napkin up, uh, upon his face and heavily saturated was something to preserve his face until the third day when loving hands would finish the embalming. Now, Peter and John were both uh, intrigued by the grave clothes lying on the floor and the tomb. They each stooped down and to look at them. For John, that was all he needed to see in order to believe. E.W. Keaton again gives us an insight as to what John saw. What did John see? He saw the empty cocoon lying there upon the floor. It had become so hard and stiff that it would almost support one, one's knee as you pressed upon it, but it was empty. The body of Jesus Christ had come out of that little narrow uh, aperture at, at the face. If John had seen that someone with a knife had ripped that cocoon open and taken the body of Jesus, he would never have believed. The empty cocoon convinced John 
that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. It was one of the many infallible proofs. Jesus later appeared to Peter in Luke 24, 33, and 35, and 1 Corinthians 15, 5. He showed himself um, to uh, Cleophas and another on a way to uh, Emmaus in Mark chapter 16, verse 12, and Luke 24, 13 through 32. He appeared to the eleven in the absence of Thomas in Jerusalem, Luke 24, 36 through 43, and John 20, verse 19 and 25. He came eight days afterwards and again showed himself alive to the disciples. And then Thomas was with them in Mark chapter 16, verse 14, John 20, 26 through 29, and 1 Corinthians 15, 6. For Thomas, visual proof was not enough. He required more evidence. He declared, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And Jesus offered to Thomas the infallible proof he needed. He showed himself to certain of the disciples. They were fishing on the Lake of Galilee, John 21, 1, and chapter 1, verse 24. He appeared to James in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. You see, the risen Lord appeared to Paul as one born out of the due time. And he revealed himself to the apostles and probably the whole body of disciples on a certain mountain in Galilee in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. Finally, he appeared on, on the morning of his ascension into heaven in Luke chapter 24, verse 43 through 51. Please read these scriptures I give you. In another infallible proof of his resurrection is the transformed lives of his followers. Seven weeks after his resurrection, seven weeks after the resurrection, the apostles who had locked themselves fearfully in the upper room after his crucifixion became articulate and powerful evangelists. They willing suffered much opposition, persecution, and even death. This fact substantiates uh, the diversity and their message beyond all doubt of the 12 apostles listed in Acts chapter 1 verse 13 and 26 only John died a natural death history tells us the rest were martyred the despondent disciples would not have suffered and died for a dead Christ they were so confident in the message of the risen Christ that they carried it to the ends of the Roman world before the end of the first century and changed the world forever. They gave us the body of Christ. They gave us the church through the teachings of Jesus Christ. The change that took place in about 120 believers on that day of Pentecost was so amazing that it confounded the, and gathered the multitude who cried out, what meaneth this? What meaneth this? In Acts chapter 4, verse 33 declares, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, if you take present day personal experiences, we who have enjoyed the reality of the new birth and the spirit-filled life are never at the mercy of the skeptics. I mean, there's a lot of arguments that the skeptics put out. We've we've lasted and we've tasted of the heavenly gift. 
and have been made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of Almighty God and the powers of the world to come. In Hebrews 6 and 4 and 5, you see, we know it's real, you and I. We believe. Just as surely as Jesus was raised from the dead, we are also raised. Once dead in trespasses of sin, we have been quickened, made alive, made alive by Jesus Christ through the infilling of his Holy Spirit. Likewise, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, ye, we shall also, also be in the likeness of his resurrection. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. The, re the reality of the awesome change Jesus Christ has made in our lives proves conclusively to us that the truth of his resurrection, if any man or woman, I'm paraphrasing, be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. So I'm going to paraphrase. If any person be in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. All things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Neither Christ's passion nor the succeeding events were merely incidental or without prior knowledge, as the scriptures bear out. Peter spoke of them in his fashion as, as he brought our great salvation to the forefront. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. That should come unto you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings the passion of Christ, and the glory that should follow after his passion. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory to the Lord. The Spirit of Christ testified hundreds and hundreds of years beforehand of the passion of Christ. They saw it long before it ever happened. Prophets such as Moses, Isaiah, Daniel, David, Zechariah saw clearly that the Messiah was to suffer and die. They also foretold the glory that should follow. That is, they saw that there would be gl glory, which would be the result of his suffering. But they did not clearly see what it would be. They had some knowledge that he would be raised from the dead. They knew that he would see of the, of the travail of his soul and would be satisfied. They had some glimpses of the effects of the gospel on the nations of the earth. But there were many things respecting his, his sufferings and the glorification, which they did not clearly understand at the time. Peter preached powerfully concerning the passion of Jesus Christ and his ensuing glory in these words. He said in verse 22, Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 33, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God, among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, and ye yourselves also know. 
him being delivered by the determination and determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, he have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosened the pins of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me thy ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy continence. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you now of the patriarch David, that he, both dead and brilled in his sepulchre, is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ, <coughs> excuse me, to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. That Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we are all witnesses. <coughs> Therefore, being by right hand of God exalted, and having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth, <coughs> excuse me, this which ye now see and hear. Y'all that are in Ashford, there's a storm coming your way. It's very windy here, like 65 mile an hour winds. The passion gave rise to the resurrection, which led up to the ascension whereby Jesus was glorified. And it cumulated in the, in the outpouring of the Spirit upon expectant worshipers. Paul exhorted believers that these words in Philippians 2, 5 and 11, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who being, <coughs> but made, excuse me, made himself of no reputation and looked upon him in the form of the servant and was made in the likeness of mankind. And being found in the fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, his passion. Wherefore God also highly exalted him after his passion and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. The same apostle testified personally in the very next chapter in Philippians 3, 7 and 11, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but a loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered <coughs> excuse me, the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, and I may win Christ. And he found in him, and having mine own righteousness, which is the law, but which through the faith of Christ, righteousness, which is God by faith. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection that which followed after after his passion and the fellowship of his sufferings, passion being made comfortable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead after my passion, no cross, no crown, no suffering, no glory, no death, no life, no passion, no Pentecost, no weeping, no joy, no sorrow, no rejoicing, no tribulation, no entering into thy kingdom. But John, John put it this way. In the book of Revelations, chapter 1, verse 9 through 18, John said, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and the patience of Christ Jesus, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto the book, unto the church of Ephesus, and unto the Samarian, and to the Pergamos, forgive me, I'm in the dust in here, and unto um, Tyre, and to Sardis, and to the Philippian, and unto the Lodicia. And I turned to see the voices that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paths with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like an into a fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And I saw, and I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first, and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have keys of the hell and of the of death. Another of the infallible proofs of Jesus' resurrection is noted in the writings of Matthew chapter 27. It speaks of the monumentous happening shortly after Christ arose. Verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again, with a loud voice yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. After the passion, Christ Jesus took up full authority over hell, death, and the grave. He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and he has received a kingdom where he reigns forever and ever in glorious power. Eugene Peterson wrote in his commentary language version the message, but the truth is that Christ has been raised up and the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave um, the cemeteries. Today, 
the risen Christ offers you an abundant entrance into his glorious kingdom. The way is simple. Humble yourselves and become as a little child, one who is submissive, believing, and obedient to the word of the Heavenly Father. The blood of the passion still speaks in this hour, saying, Him that cometh to me, or her, I will in no wise cast out. It says, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He calls you this day. He calls you to believe on him and experience the marvelous relief of forgiveness as you repent of your sins. He invites you to be born again of water by baptism in the name of Jesus Christ and to be born again of his spirit. The kingdom of God awaits you. I urge you not to delay your entrance. Step out from your pew wherever you may be. If you're in Ashbrook this Sunday, they're baptizing for the remission of sin in Jesus' name. I invite you to go and be baptized, to accept Christ as Savior and Lord, and go and join little Jason and be baptized. Not so little anymore. To be baptized at Gospel of Faith Church. I hope and I pray that the storms held up and that Sister Romy is back home safe as we've been praying for her, uh, for Sister Linda, for Al, and for all. Uh, I pray she's home safely and back in uh, back at home. Um, we're still praying for Al and her both. So with that, I pray each of you, these are... These are terrible times that we're living in. Shootings, mass shootings, killings, murder. Please, you never know what's going to happen in in this world. Accept Christ. Find a brand new life with Jesus Christ. If you've never accepted Christ, I give you this invitation right now. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, Just say this prayer with me, won't you? Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you right now. I know, Lord, that I'm a sinner. I have sinned against you and against others. But today, Lord, I repent. I turn away from that life of sin. And I ask your forgiveness. The Bible says, whosoever... Whosoever will believe shall be saved. I believe that Jesus died on that cross and that some of that blood covers me and my sins. I ask that that you would accept me into the kingdom of God. Forgive me and let me dedicate my life to Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life on this day. I believe that you died and you were resurrected on the third day. Save me, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. 
amen and amen. If you said that prayer with earnest faith, I invite you to seek out a Bible-believing church and ask them to baptize you. Just ask them to baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. They will. And then continue in that service and see if you can start learning about God and the wonderful things that he has in store for you. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Until next time, God bless.